This and every episode of Wrecked Podcast is brought to you by Beeksy Exchange, an upcoming cryptocurrency exchange built in collaboration with One Market Data. Beeksy is bringing legacy finance speed, power, and sophistication to crypto for the first time. With 225,000 transactions per second per pair, comparable to NASDAQ, 15 order types on day one, with 25 order types on full rollout, and a dedicated customer support team, Beeksy is setting itself apart from the competition. Check out Beeksy today at Beeksy.com and pre-register today at Beeksy.com slash registration to get your free Beeksy exchange tokens. That's Beeksy.com, B-E-A-X-Y dot com. Hi, this is Brock Pierce and we're on Wrecked. Before we get to Brock Pierce, let me take a moment and tell you about our friends at Honey Miner. They were the very first sponsor on our show, and they're back with a huge announcement. They are now supporting Linux with their Honey Miner Max. Honey Miner Max is compatible with Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, and CentOS 7. Honey Miner Max is paying out market value plus 10%, making it the most profitable Linux miner on the market. Have you ever wanted to get into crypto mining but have no idea now? Ne- how? Honey Miner is the answer. They have the easiest way with their one-click install mining software where you can earn Bitcoin straight to your computer. Sound cool? Check it out at honeyminer.com slash labs. That's honeyminer.com slash labs. And follow them on Twitter at GetHoneyMiner. Hello and welcome to Wrecked Podcast. I am Bunchu alongside my wonderful, esteemed, and credible co-hosts, uh, Crypto Chamber and Cynthia Wood. Chamber, how you doing, buddy? I don't know. I think a couple of those adjectives may have been wrong, but uh, I'm doing pretty good nonetheless. <laughs> Cynthia, how are you? I'm great. It's a it's a, a warm 75 here in Florida. Stop it. Uh, it's beautiful. Hey, it's, so I'm great. it's been pretty great uh, the last two days here. Uh, it was like 60 today. I was driving with the windows down. I am recording from a hotel room in lovely and uh, me- the metropolis, as you put it, of Binghamton, New York, where I have crappy internet service. And <laughs> I'm looking at what they call a river view of out of my hotel room. It's it's like it's a it's a pond <laughs> with melting ice. So um, that's what I'm doing today. But we are going to get right to it. Um, we have a fantastic guest. We've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. We have the one and only Brock Pierce with us today. Brock is an entrepreneur and venture capitalist with an extensive track record of founding, advising and investing in disruptive businesses. He's been credited with pioneering the market for digital currency, has raised more than $5 billion, with a B, for companies he's founded. Uh, Brock is the chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation and co-founder of the EOS Alliance, Block One, Blockchain Capital, Tether, and Mastercoin, which was the first ever ICO. Brock, pleasure to have you, man. How are you doing? I am... Uh... Grateful and glad to be here. I'm surprised we're not uh, 
doing this interview together uh, in Puerto Rico. We are looking. I'd, I'd much yeah, rather. Yeah, we are Puerto looking Rico. forward to talking <laughs> about rather. Puerto Rico, even though we cannot be there ourselves. Uh, we'll have to take you up on a rain check on that one. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we, we've already scheduled the next round of this, so the next one will be in person in perfect. Puerto Rico together. Now, perfect. now, Brock, I know this cannot be. Uh, one of your, it can't be, of all the great accomplishments here that I just read off, uh, one of the things people remember you for most was young Gordon Bombay. Does that still stick with you uh, to this day? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, my, my childhood was, you know, yeah, spent in the entertainment business from the ages of one to 16. My first memory in life takes place on a set, you know, at the age of three, making a, uh, a commercial for KCRW called Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, the, uh, the film stuff clearly is, uh, uh, you know, it, it, no matter what I do in life, um, I'll never live that one down because the allure of celebrity and the allure of media and film, you know, always kind of trumps everything uh, in the minds of most. I'll but, tell you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. I got to play young Gordon Bombay. I got to be the first duck, you know, oh. in the Mighty Ducks, you know, the flying Vs, quack, quack, quack. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was great. What a, I mean, what a, an unusual and interesting uh, childhood. Uh, so grateful for the opportunity and education, uh, unconventional education it provided. But I mean, realistically here, obviously you had mentioned the allure of, of Hollywood and all that fun stuff, but at the end of the day, just looking at your resume, we got to get to a point soon where that's that's a that's a secondary thought, and you are one of the you know godfathers of cryptocurrency. I mean, you know, you're looking at uh, Bitcoin Foundation, uh, you know, EOS Alliance, Block One, Tether, Master, like Mastercoin. I think it was the first ICO, correct? Yeah, Mastercoin was. Uh, I mean, we didn't call it. We didn't call it an ICO at the time, right? But it was. It was the first time that a, a project, um, you know, opened up uh, its doors to taking in resources from the crowd, um, right. and in exchange for your contribution, gave you coins in a new project. Which, um, you know, eventually, yeah, we became called an ICO, and so yeah, it was a, a cool thing to be part of. You know, at the time, you know, think of Bitcoin as TCP/IP. Mastercoin was the HTTP layer so that you could build other applications on top mm -hmm. of Bitcoin. So not only was it the first ICO, but you know, it was kind of the first major project that started to demonstrate that there's more than just a financial use case. You know, we're not only just building digital gold here, the blockchain as a platform is capable of doing so much more. And so it, it, it was a, a very important project at its time and uh, incredibly fortunate that uh, I had the pleasure of being involved. That's great. Bancho, are you still there? That crummy internet. <laughs> right? We may have lost off. them. In two thousand and in, in, by the way, in New York in two thousand nineteen, unbelievable. Fact that we internet we, connection I, I, issues. Still having connection issues. I mean, I understand <laughs> if he was in Africa, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I've been you to know. South Africa. I had great internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, what we'll do is, I, I guess we'll we'll, we'll kind of leave off, and maybe he can jump back on in a little bit. Um, but yeah, we just kind of wanted to talk to you just in regards to some of the projects that you're currently working on um obviously with uh you know 
I, when I first heard about you in cryptocurrency uh, was through EOS or EOS. I, I, being a person from the company, uh, how do we pronounce this properly? Because I know I've been making a, a mumble of it. It's for EOS, a correct? EOS? I, I think however you like. Yeah, okay, good. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, you can call it EOS, you can call it EOS, you can call it, you know, whatever resonates right. with you. I mean, it, it's one of those things you don't want to tell people, you know, what's right for them. It's, it's ultimately a subjective decision, you know, as we're building open source systems with open minds and open hearts, you know, it's whatever it means to you. Yeah. You know, you could... You know, I the only term that's ever been used to describe it that I disagree with, the only one that I'm not fond of, the only one that I don't agree it means is Ethereum on steroids, um, which is, you know, <laughs> what some people have called it. Right. Anything else I'm good with okay. um, because right. I'm, a, I'm a huge supporter of Ethereum uh, and I believe that Ethereum is very important to our ecosystem. In the same way when Bitcoin goes up, you know, rising tides raise all coins. All coins kind of go up when Bitcoin goes down. All coins go down. Ethereum is 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 next in line. What, right. What's good for Ethereum is good for all of us. What's bad for Ethereum is bad for all of us. Right. So I am always ever rooting for their success and continued success. Well, that's good to know. I'm because I have a big bag of Ethereum and I need it to uh, to to, <laughs> to do okay. Um, yeah, no, I'm huge, huge Ethereum supporter. I was a major participant in the original crowd sale friends with you know most of the founders before ethereum uh worked closely with you know everyone on the team through the uh through the original crowd sale and leading up to it and uh you know i uh, very very uh uh proud uh of all that they've accomplished good stuff okay i think through the miracle of modern technology we have bunchy back on bunchy yes back? yes i am so Hallelujah. i i didn't catch all I didn't catch all of that, but I did want to ask a follow-up about that. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about the, the MasterCoin and everything now, and it being kind of the first, you know, form of ICO. What do you what are your thoughts on the overall ICO market? We kind of saw it hit this huge high, followed by this, you know, really uh, an area now where people are kind of staying averse from ICOs. Where do you see the market going in the future with, with that? Uh, so I'm a huge believer in, in crowdfunding, and that's what an ICO really is. I mean, historically, capital formation has been something controlled by a very small number of people, primarily venture capitalists, primarily in Silicon Valley more so than anywhere else in the world historically. Obviously, China and other markets have, have emerged. But capital formation historically only happens in very specific cities. Meaning if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be an innovator, if you want to be a game changer with a vision, you kind of have to be in one of those cities because that's where the capital is. You know, if you, 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 as an entrepreneur, if you're born in Eastern Europe or Africa or Latin America or Southeast Asia, the odds of your dream or your vision, your project becoming a reality is quite low historically, insanely low. The advantages of being in San Francisco or New York, you know, if you wanted to do something entrepreneurial, you had a huge advantage over everyone else. And so what the ICO sort of uh, market has done or what crowdfunding in general is doing is it's chipping away at that, you know, the old guard and their control over what projects, you know, get capitalized and who gets to innovate. You know, you need to belong to the right club. You need to graduate from the right school and be in the right sorority or fraternity to basically be an innovator. And that leaves a lot of potential on the, you know, on the table that never gets realized. 
now the next Mark Zuckerberg, the next Vitalik Buterin, the next Dan Larimer could, in theory, be from anywhere. And I think that that's a great thing for society. So the ICO um, clearly was a, a, had a very small beginnings uh, around MasterCoin and projects through 2014 and 15. Um, you know, ICOs were not a preferred choice of financing. You know, the people that were doing ICOs in the early days were people that were trying to experiment or tinker at creating new models for capital formation. But in general, everyone, if given a choice, took venture capital because venture capital was a better source of funding. The signaling or validation that it provided for one, but number two, it provided more capital. The early ICOs, you know, didn't provide a lot of capital. Ethereum was the first major project that chose to do an ICO, even though they had every VC in the world that mattered courting them. Right. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, thank you. We don't want your model. We don't like your way of you know, operating. We're going to go mm -hmm. with this crowd thing because we think it's true to our philosophical views of how the world needs to be and how the world needs to change. Mm -hmm. And that was really the thing that set the example for the future that we've started to experience. But it wasn't until the Dow that ICOs became popular. You know, the Dow took in $150 million you know, on a white paper for disrupting venture capital, essentially. And obviously, it also showed us a lot of what not to do, like right. do your security audits, do your security audits, do your security audits, don't rush these things, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, throw on a belt and suspenders. So they obviously <laughs> made a major, uh, there's a lot of lessons learned there of what not to do. But the positive thing that came out of the Dow is it showed people that this model can scale, that there is something to ICOs. And entrepreneurs all over the world woke up when they saw that and said, whoa, this is a better model than venture capital. And it caused incredible entrepreneurs all over the world to start to think about something other than VC. It made everyone say, maybe VC isn't the best model. You know, and this is a little odd as someone that, you know, in my case, I've been a VC for years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I believe, you know, that, you know, in life, um, the best innovators, the best disruptors are the ones that are willing to disrupt themselves. Right. The people that are not just looking at other people's, you know, uh, markets and saying, how do I disrupt that? But people that are willing to say, with all the knowledge and experience I have regarding my own domain, how can I improve on my own industry? I mean, venture capital is an industry that has historically been funding innovation and, and funding disruption. But how much has venture capital as an industry changed itself? You know, for the people that finance innovation, they haven't done a whole lot of innovating. Right. Um, you know, Tim Draper clearly has innovated. You know, he figured out how to like franchise, you know, the model by creating all these DFJ funds around the world. And that was a big innovation. He was one of the only VCs in the world that actually truly innovated around his business. And then you had things like AngelList and Naval Ravikant mm -hmm. and, you know, the various types that have said, hey, you know, angels, let's give, you know, let's give that angels greater access, you know, to entrepreneurs and allow angels to play the roles that they are. We call them angels for a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to be crazy to fund a, a, a raw startup. <laughs> and it's not a very good business, which is why we call them angels. They're people that are normally entrepreneurs that have been successful in their entrepreneurial endeavors, made some money, and are choosing to give back, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's that pay it forward model. I've been lucky, and I'm going to take some of my success, and I'm going to give it back to the next you know, wave of entrepreneurs, the people that are in the same position that I was once in, and due to abundance and success and good fortune, you know, continue to be an angel for that next wave. You know, VCs, on the other hand, are very different than angels. Right. You know, they're sophisticated investors that are very focused on a profit motive. 
the reality is most angels were not that. Angels were angels. You know, they were the ones that you prayed, you know, were the <laughs> support. Maybe one day uh, I could be an angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but that's, as an entrepreneur, you know, that, that is when you've been, you know, one of the, the, the lucky, one of the blessed, you know, to give back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that, that is an entrepreneur, you know, one of the kind of unspoken laws, unspoken rules is, you know, to go out there and be a mentor. And if you've been successful enough to the point that you've been blessed with abundance, you know, to pay it forward and, you know, to continue to support that next, you know, cadre of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately, our, you know, tech and innovators, you know, have been blessed, you know, these last 20 years in okay. a way where we've been given abundance and, you know, let's keep that rolling. Absolutely. Let's keep innovating. Let's change the world. Let's make it a better place. So, yeah, the ICOs then after the Dow, uh, you know, people woke up and said, wow, this is incredible. And like all good things, it has to come to an end, at least temporarily. You know, the bubble emerged. You know, everything was raising money. FOMO set in. People were throwing money around loosely, not even doing any real diligence. Projects started to be funded that shouldn't be funded or overfunded. Um, you know, on a white paper. Right. I mean, let's, you know, we got to get back to reality at some point. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, teams that have never really done anything before, never shipped product. You know, just because you can make a good white paper and you know a little bit about tech, there's more to building successful tech things than just engineering. You know, and a lot of the engineers think it's only that. You know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, you know, ultimately great projects happen because of the combination of skills. You know, you need, you need all the talents around the table. Uh, obviously, <laughs> engineers being the most important of which. But you also need the storytellers. You also need the marketers. You also need the UX, you know, sort of right. people that understand how to create a, a user experience that's palatable to the masses. That's one of the biggest lacking things I think yeah. in the space right now is, is well, because we've been over dominated by engineering. Absolutely. And, and again, they are the foundation of what makes everything work here. Yep. So I'm not taking away from that in any way whatsoever. But we need all the things. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. And so, uh, and, and so um, uh, you know, uh, things got out of hand. And then on top of that the wrong people started coming in. Right. You know, when when you get this asymmetry of information, you know, where there's very few people that actually understand this stuff, but lots of money being made, that's when all the cockroaches come out. You know, mm -hmm. all the scam artists, all the Ponzi scheme people, the pyramid builders and everything else. Yeah. And of course, lots of bad actors started showing up, started taking advantage of the hype, and lots of people started to be burned. And of course, the market had to go through a correction Oh, um, I'm really happy that we've been through this correction. It's been a cleansing process. It's been a purging, you know, of the wrong people and all the right people, the real believers, the people that are doing the real work that are actually building the things. We're mm -hmm. still around. Yep. And there's still capital available for the people that are doing things, not in abundance like it was. And you have to work a lot harder to get it. But, um, you know, the market's not closed. The bar has just been raised and for good reason, because a lot of people have been burned. And the market is moving, you know, towards STOs. I, um, I had the pleasure of uh, um, being a big fan of crowdfunding outside of ICOs, and MasterCoin, you know, helped lead to this. I became an early user of AngelList. I was running one of the top ten syndicates back when syndicates first opened up on the platform. I got involved with some of the early Jobs Act companies when they started doing Reg A's, Reg A plus, right. Reg S, Reg D. As that legislation was passing, I said, "This is going to be a big deal for crypto." And so I went and became an early advisor to Distilled Jeans. I think they were the second reggae offering ever. So I was already in the background while doing all this crypto stuff, spending time trying to figure out where these worlds are going to converge. Right, no kidding. Right. Which eventually then I started telling people, you know, as the ICO market's booming, I'm like, 
you should consider doing a security token because th there was a lot of legal ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, we can do security tokens. And people are like, what's that? I go, well, you do it you know, compliantly from a regulation perspective. You sell digital equity or you sell digital royalties, dividends, all sorts of stuff. And like that, you know, how does that work? And I, I was encouraging people for over a year to do it. And no one, you know, kind of got it or no one wanted to do it because the current model looked good enough. And, right. You know, money was flowing. And so people were like, rather than reinvent the wheel and innovating, let me just keep, you know, rinse and repeating. And so that eventually led to with blockchain capital, we did our third fund, which was the first ever STO. We did the first security token offering. And that was in the spring of 2017 using a Reg D offering in the US, a Reg S offering internationally. And so I had the pleasure with my partners at Blockchain Capital to do the first ever security token offering, recognizing that the market needed you know, some more checks and balances. Yes. Mm. The problem with utility tokens, I love utility tokens, but you can't have users, you know, um, contributors don't have rights. And when you have a lot of bad actors showing up, contributors do need rights. They sure um, do. You know, in a perfect world, utility tokens are it. Right. But we don't live in a perfect no, world. No, we sure don't. <laughs> and we live in a world of an asymmetry of information. And so I think security tokens are the near-term future. I think that utility tokens will have a resurgence in some number of years once the market matures and once we, the participants, actually know what we're doing. So you think this is going to be, uh, STOs are going to be kind of the, 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 the main way of, 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 of accumulating funds and then possibly ICOs may make a comeback afterwards? Yeah, I think that's probably how it goes. ICOs might be two, five, ten years away. Right. In the near term, I think security tokens are going to be kind of the future in the same way that you normally would go out and raise money from VCs. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of you know raising it from VCs, you go out and raise it from the public, but it compliantly in the form of a security token, where those contributors know they have ownership, where those contributors know they have rights to royalties or dividends or something mm -hmm. of that nature. In the same way we've sold equity historically, but instead of selling it to a small number of the elite you know, now it's going to be open right. to the many. So where do you see, where do you see the, you know, the cryptocurrency space as far as the next kind of breakthrough into the mainstream? Now, a lot of people talking, um, you know, we had, I think Tron and Verge got into the, you know, the adult industry, which has always been, you know, ahead of the game when it came to, uh, you know, Blu-ray and, and stuff like that, uh, as far as technology goes. Another one is obviously gaming. Um, do you see those two being kind of the, the, the front runners for the next wave of, 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 of you know, uh, mass adoption? Yeah, I've been saying it since 2013 because you just have to pull a page out of the history books. Right. Right. Historically, the adult industry and the gaming industry have been on the, you know, the bleeding edge of you know, technology innovation. And the reason why is because they're the industries that have not been accepted you know, by the banks right. and the mainstream industries. And so mm -hmm. uh, as a result of that, they've had the need to, to innovate the most. You know, right. Where the need is the greatest is where the innovation happen is the most likely to happen. And mm -hmm. so those sectors historically have always been on the front lines of innovation. And that's been that way for a very long time. And clearly it was going to be no different here. Would you think not, not how we want to be known as an industry, <laughs> but it just, it just is what it is. It, you know, history, history repeats itself. And would you um, include so, yeah, gambling into that as well? Yeah, gaming both in terms of video games and gambling. Right. Both, both types of gaming. Yes. All yeah. the fun games. <laughs> yeah. Well, those, uh, gambling and gaming are, are kind of the same industry. Right. They're different markets. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
they're similar businesses. Well, I know there was a couple of weeks ago, I think Fortnite had that moment where they were accepting Monero for, I think, half an hour and then and then they weren't anymore. <laughs> Um, and everybody thought I think I think for a brief moment like that was that was it like this is this is going to be crazy uh, but I think we need something I don't know if it'll be necessarily Fortnite but something of of, of that ilk to to really set it off I, I, I think I think you're so, 100% correct there yeah so I think it's going to be either those old industries of adult and gambling mm-hmm. or I think it's going to be one of three you know verticals that are going to drive mass adoption you know mass consumer adoption um well, four. The other one is um, uh, financial inclusion. Okay. Two thirds of the population of the planet, you know, two thirds of the population do not have access to banking or financial services, or they have limited access. And so, one of the things that our industry is doing is it's democratizing the global financial system in a way where every person on the planet is going to have equal access. And the least fortunate billions of people stand to benefit the most. You know, places like Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia. And that's one of the great use cases for this technology. We are literally, we have the power to bring people out of poverty, to give them the tools that we often take for granted. Um, But the three other spaces that I think are going to drive it are either going to be social networking. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody's very, you know, most people are not happy with Facebook. They're just kind of trapped within that walled garden. Yeah. Mm and they feel their data is being abused and all sorts of other things. And they don't, as their data is being sold, they don't benefit from it in any way. Right. And because of that critical mass of users, you know, that marketplace network effect, um, you know, I think that there's an opportunity around social where blockchain could disrupt the social sector, giving users control or ownership over their data and the permissioning of who and what gets access Mm -hmm. to that data. And then having some financial participation in the monetization of that data. I know I know Steam was really big for that. Um, you know, going back a year. I don't know where they are now, but I know uh, Investfeed is a social networking uh, platform that kind of participates that way. Um, and I think BitTube uh, is kind of like the the you know the blockchain equivalent of YouTube, where where people can go out and put content on there and and get uh, some sort of uh, reimbursement for their time. Yeah. So I think we're going to find a killer app in the social sphere that takes off in a big way yeah. because the market, it just feels like the stars have aligned and the market is ready. Uh, the next big one I think is messaging, mm-hmm. you know, Skype, mm-hmm. WhatsApp, you know, Telegram obviously has right. raised a lot of money there in the game. So I think that messaging has a ton of potential as well. I mean, just look at what people use the internet for today, social messaging. And then the third part like Fortnite is games, but not the gambling kind. I mean the video game. Right. Part. I think that gaming, messaging, and social are, you know, the areas to be watching most closely in terms of where the big, you know, call it blockchain consumer. So Brock, um, just to get, we'll get back to Brock Pierce in just a moment, but we have to take this time to talk to you about our sponsor, B App. B App is the first complete mobile mortgage app that allows you to get a home loan on your smartphone, not some dud rocket. B App lets you get a mortgage anytime anywhere, including at 6 a.m. Dawn Patrol. Apply, shop loans, lock rates, and close all from your smartphone. Coming soon to iTunes and Google Play Store, that's B app. Give a a little background. Um, You know, you kind of, 
innovated that whole digital currency in that gaming space. Can you talk about that? That's kind of before you got into, you know, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin per se, but um, that's kind of where your background started, right? Yeah, so I was, a. Um, in addition to being an actor, I was a magician. And in addition that's to a, being a magician- How did I not know this? I'm a <laughs> magician. <laughs> It, it's it, it's you know if you hang out with me at night I do tricks. Oh my um, goodness! But, I, uh, um, a friend of mine, Warren, um, he's down there in Puerto Rico as well. Warren Bailey. Yes. He was my telling neighbor. me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He he's always talking. He he re- lovingly refers to you as the wizard, and that you it tell, tells me about your magic tricks. Oh, so man. I did know that. Sorry. I guys. love a good magic trick. <laughs> and so um, yeah, I started doing magic at the age of five. Really? And I was doing I was doing stage shows in <laughs> Vegas when I was like thirteen. No kidding. That's fantastic. I was just in Vegas. Uh, we had a magician uh, at one of the gatherings we were at, and he was atrocious. I like <laughs> Magic the Gathering like Mount Gox. Yeah, exactly. Magic, magic the Gathering <laughs> online I didn't exchange. even try that. <laughs> your, your, your use of words there were perfect. Yeah. Um, I, think I've been, I think I've been spending too much time in the crypto magic, space. Magic the Gathering. Um, but, uh, uh, but I was also a professional gamer. Okay. So, like, as a kid, my uh, uh, whenever I booked a commercial and I was making a Nintendo commercial or, you know, I was an underwear model, but not the Kelvin Klein type, you know, the Target <laughs> through the loom type. But, um, uh, <laughs> and so uh, 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 I also was a pro gamer, and every time I booked a gig, I got to pick a game, and I, I beat every game I played normally within the first day. Really? Um, and uh, I would hang out as a mall rat. I'd hang out in the arcades and hustle people for money at Mortal Kombat and things of that nature. <laughs> That's awesome. Before esports kind of took off in a big way, and so um, uh, I, I, I was a very avid gamer, um, you know, in all of my youth. And so uh, when the first persistent games um, were coming out, you know, like think World of Warcraft, think Second Life, you know, EverQuest, Lineage, however you want to look at them, Ultima Online. When the first persistent worlds were emerging, where the items were alienable and they could be transferred, and the game world was persistent, meaning you came back and the things were still there a market emerged for those in-game virtual goods or those in-game virtual currencies. People were willing to buy and sell them. And uh, at the time, people thought it was crazy. I told people I'm selling virtual currencies in games and they're like, what are you talking about? They're like, why would anyone want to buy virtual currency in a video game? I'm like, well, (laughs) do you play golf? And they're like, yeah. I go, do you like to use a good golf club or a bad golf club? And they're like, I like good clubs. I go, well, that's how you choose to spend your discretionary time. If you chose to spend your free time in World of Warcraft, do you think you want a good sword or a bad sword? And they're like, I I suppose I'd want a good sword. And I'm like, exactly. Just because something is intangible doesn't make it any less valuable. Mm -hmm. It's how you choose to spend your discretionary time. And if you're fortunate enough to have discretionary income, you're probably going to use some of it to Mm -hmm. improve your leisure time. Um, And so you're going to spend money to improve the utility of your game or to improve your social status. And so the digital world mimics the analog world. And so markets starting to emerge. And I started building some of the early businesses in the world to build exchanges, you know, to buy and sell virtual currencies and games. So I started playing in that space in 1999. And then in 2001, it became my full-time effort. Um, and I started the biggest company in the world that was making a market for virtual currencies and games. And so I built up a supply chain of 400,000 people, primarily in China, 
playing games like World of Warcraft to mine digital currency that I was then selling all over the world. I was PayPal's largest customer for over three years, wow. helped pioneer their credit card payment processing business. I was Google's largest advertiser for a moment. Um, uh, helped, we helped launch Alipay in China. And so I got very good at international payment systems, cross-border payments, dealing with foreign nations, virtual currencies, all of these skills that were very relevant to everything we do now today. Uh, and so I had a nice 10 or 15 year head start. No kidding. I was going to say 99. You're a pretty young yeah. guy still. Shame. How old are you? I'm, th- I'm 38. I was going to say, he's acting. So I quit acting. When I was, he's doing Broadway shows all by the age of, or uh, Vegas shows by the age of five. I'm still wet in the bed. You, you're, who knows? Like he's done. He's had a lifetime was, of success. I was going to say 1999. <laughs> I think I just smoked my first he's joint. He's had a lifetime of success. <laughs> Breathe, so. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, I agree. Like he, you, you, you've done a lot more before I smoked my first joint. I'll tell you. Well, I, I, I got very lucky in the transition from acting to um, uh, to business. Um, you know, as an actor, I eventually like I because I was born into acting. I didn't decide to be an right. actor. It just, Mm -hmm. that was what I did. I woke up every day and that was, you know, I was a professional before I even knew what I was doing. And so um, uh, by the time I was about 14, 15, I decided that acting wasn't my calling, at least not uh, reading other people's scripts. (laughs) Um, No kidding. uh, And and performing other people's lines. And so um, in that world that I grew up in, I really was an entrepreneurial kid. I had built every lemonade stand business I could, you know, conjure at the time. And... um, uh, I really wanted to be the producer. I wanted to be the person that you know put the project together or financed it because that in the world I grew up in was the role that most you know kind of appealed to me. And so I started dabbling in independent film production when I was 15, 16, 17. And then uh, the internet 1.0, the internet started taking off. Consumer internet started to become popular. You know, because of gaming, I was you know an avid computer user and you know whatnot. And so uh, I had the good fortune of starting my first company when I was 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were the first ones trying to put video on the internet. We were basically Hulu, Netflix, YouTube in 1997. And so uh, we raised $88 million. We created the word webisode. We created the format of how all media is basically consumed on the internet today. You created the and word so webisode? I, yeah, we That's did. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's really and so I, I had my first sort of uh, foray into entrepreneur you know, internet tech entrepreneurialism, you know, I was 17 in 97, 98, 99. And so I lived through the first internet 1.0 bubble uh, and had a front row seat to it all. And it didn't end well. I mean, we raised $88 million and we spent 96. And when the bubble burst in the spring of 2000, you know, we went out of business like the other 99% of startups. Wow, that's impressive. So um, just switching gears a little bit here, we, we chat a little bit uh, at the top of the show just in regards to Puerto Rico. Um, just wanted to get an idea of how, like, how you got to Puerto Rico from, I'm assuming, L.A. at a certain point, um, just from your youth, but how'd you get out to Puerto Rico? Yeah, so um, I've been living all over the world. You know, I've lived in Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, Seoul, London, Paris, you know, Spain. I've lived all over the planet, and um, for a long time, I've been a digital nomad, you know, just flying around the world like a bee. You know, really aggressively in the case of uh, uh, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 for crypto because I needed to help 
you know, pollinate, you know, these ideas. Right. I have relationships all over the world. You know, in South Korea, I had over 90% market share for all virtual currency trading. Really? Um, you know, I, I ran the entire South Korean market. So I went, you know, and I had to go spend, you know, that's in my old video game activities. Mm -hmm. So I went over to my old partners and said, you know, let's get into Bitcoin. And they're all like, no, 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 no. Like, come on, guys, you need to get into Bitcoin. You know, this is going to be a big deal. They're like, no, video games is where it's at. I'm like, come on. And so we started exchanges like BitThumb and, you know, you know, kicked off the whole Korean market because, you know, Korea and China were my main markets. And so I helped get Bitcoin going over there, helped Bitcoin get going over in South Korea. And so I've been flying around the world like a bee, pollinating these ideas everywhere I go. Um, and so in 2014, well, in Puerto Rico, I started going as a teenager. But in 2014, there was one big concern I had, and that was banking. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, if you had a crypto exchange, if you were you know, trying to build another Coinbase, banks wouldn't bank you. Coinbase was the only one that had a real banking relationship, and that was with Silicon Valley Bank. And then Zappo had a similar relationship. But Silicon Valley Bank only banked a couple of companies, and everyone else couldn't get banking. And so the founders would go in and create bank accounts and not disclose to the bank what they were doing. And when you don't disclose to a bank the nature of your business, it's a felony. And so I became very worried about all the entrepreneurs. Right. Um, this, in my mind, became a systemic risk to the ecosystem. And so I said, well, how do we solve this problem? I go, well, I'm, I've, I've built lots of companies. I know how to do lots of things. Let me go build a bank or buy a bank. And so I started looking at buying state chartered banks, federally chartered banks, how do credit unions and co-ops work. And I started doing a deep dive into banking, um, you know, through 2013 into 2014. And I was just, I was pulling my hair out. I was so frustrated. This was going to take years and be really, really difficult and extremely expensive. You know, getting into the banking cartel club is a mm -hmm. difficult one. And so uh, I'm eventually like, I'm a hacker. There's got to be a back door. I'm like, wait. <laughs> What about the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, Samoa, Puerto Rico? And like that day, a friend of mine comes up to me and says, hey, Brock, are you familiar with these tax rules in Puerto Rico? I'm like, no. He goes, you should take a look at this. This is, uh, you know, this, this could be really interesting. I'm like, yeah, get that over to me immediately. So I look through this stuff and he goes, yeah, the guy that runs all that stuff down in Puerto Rico wants to talk to you. I'm like, yes, please. I get on a phone call. I get on a phone call with him the next day. And he's talking to me about the taxes. I said, I'm not interested in the taxes. I go, you know, money isn't my motivation. Um, I care about, you know, making the world a better place. Uh, uh, and the opportunity cost of being in Puerto Rico is too high. But I really wanted to talk to you about banking in Puerto Rico. Does Puerto Rico have any back doors to banking in the U.S.? And he goes, as a matter of fact, it does. Really? The same laws that made these new tax rules in 2012, the 20 and 22 acts, in the same legislation, there's a thing called Act 273. I'm like, what's Act 273? He goes, it's the ability to create an IFE. It's an international financial entity. It's like, it's like a bank. It gives you all the, the capabilities of a bank, but it's not a bank. And it allows for offshore banking in the U.S. that's still offshore, but also onshore banking in the U.S., except for you can't bank Puerto Ricans. And he's like, I'm like, that's amazing. I go, how many people are doing it? He goes, no one's done it yet. What? I jumped on a plane, flew down there immediately, and I go, let's start a Puerto Rican bank. And so I, I, we started the first crypto bank. Um, it was called Noble Markets or Noble Bank, mm -hmm. and we became mm -hmm. the biggest crypto bank in the world. And that's what really got me tied into Puerto Rico over 2014, 15, and 16. And so then once I became familiar with everything in Puerto Rico, it was just kind of in my register of knowledge. 
It was in my knowledge bank. And so I also noticed wherever I go around the world, lots of really incredible people will show up. You know, people with tremendous amounts of intellectual capital, human capital, financial capital, spiritual capital. You know, if I go spend time in London, people fly in up from all over Europe. If I go spend time in Hong Kong, people seem to fly in from all over Asia. You know, when I go to New York, people, you know, people have it, they'll, they'll come where I go for whatever reason because they all have questions, they want help, they want advice, they want investment, they want whatever. And so I'm going, well, if I'm a bit of a vortex of sorts, if where I go, people will follow. Once I came to this realization, that becomes a responsibility. I'm like, if wherever I go, people will go, I need to, I need to make use of that. Mm-hmm. You know, San Francisco doesn't need a bunch of help right now. New York doesn't need a bunch of help right now. London doesn't need a bunch of help right now. Hong Kong doesn't need a bunch of help right now. I go, if I go anywhere and people will show up, I have an obligation to go somewhere that could use some help. Absolutely. And so Puerto Rico, because of what I was doing in 2014, was first on my radar. And because of the tax benefits, I'm like, that would be easy to convince people. Right. You right. know, it's not just, it's hard to get people to move anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there has to be a compelling story. You know, Puerto Rico is paradise. The weather is great. And by the way, there's no taxes. And guess what? You're going to be helping people in a big way. Right. You know, right. come down, check it out. Come down and check it out. And so... Uh, there was that side of it, but also I'm a, I'm a history buff. I, I spend, uh, I'm a voracious reader of history. Um, you know, I believe that, you know, it's important that we study history and the mistakes of the past so as not to repeat them again. And so the story of Puerto Rico is a very interesting one, and it's largely an untold story. It's been written out of the history books. When Christopher Columbus sailed across the Atlantic in 1492, you know, he didn't first stop in Puerto Rico, but he set up shop in Puerto Rico. In early 1493, that was the headquarters of the New World. All of Europe's influence on all of North and South America, as well as the Caribbean, it all started in Puerto Rico. It is, it is 9-11. It is the Twin Towers. It is ground zero of all of Europe's influence on the Americas and the indigenous people. All of it started there. And so when you start thinking about, you know, history and where the healing needs to begin Mm -hmm. and, you know, the people that deserve it the most having been conquered by the conquistadors Mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff, it's like, it's interesting because Puerto Rico was the first state, but not the 51st state, but the forgotten state. Right. And I started telling friends of mine, okay, we're going to move down to Puerto Rico in December 2018. And so I'd already kind of put together a plan, was telling everyone, and then Hurricane Maria happened. Mm Mm-hmm. And when Hurricane Maria happened and I'm seeing, you know, you know, what's happening in Puerto Rico, it wasn't convenient. It wasn't the time that I had planned. No. But I said, now is the time. You know, this is, you know, if the goal is to go out and make a difference, now's the time to go do that. And so the idea is to, you know, encourage people to come with intellectual capital, human capital, financial capital, spiritual capital, show up with good intentions and, you know, try and make an impact. You know, the real problem that Puerto Rico suffers from isn't the hurricane. It's the consistent brain drain. Right. You know, the people with the intellectual capital, the human capital, the financial capital, all those things, the people with the means keep leaving because of a lack of opportunity. And then the youth today, because of a lack of opportunity, keep leaving. When you're always losing your best and your brightest and those with the means, and that's going on consistently, you know, that is where things are really a problem. There have been no Puerto Rican startups, none. 
There were no angel investors. There were no startups, but there's incredibly talented people. Puerto Rico has more bachelor degrees per capita than anywhere in the United really? States. They're the most educated people in the U.S. There's more artists per capita than anywhere in the United States. There's not a lack of talent in Puerto Rico. There's a lack of tools and a lack of hope because they've been, you know, uh, uh, stepped on for so long. So if you're a Puerto Rican with a dream or a vision of doing something amazing in the world, you have to leave. Right. Now, right. what's amazing that's happened, there's now angels showing up in mass. There's mentors showing up in mass. Accelerators are forming. Incubators are forming. Co-working facilities are forming. Co-living facilities are forming. Hackathons are happening all over the island. They have the number 15 engineering school in the US. NASA, Facebook, Google, et cetera, have near full-time recruiters in Puerto Rico. Really? Because Puerto Rico's number one export is human beings, really talented human beings. And so there are incredible Puerto Ricans in New York and in Silicon Valley working on startups because they can't do it in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico just had the first two startups that raised over a million dollars the end of last year. And I think there's going to be a few more of them the beginning of this year and hopefully many more by the second half of this year, which means something's changing. Mm -hmm. If you're a Puerto Rican that's part of the diaspora, you know, the opportunity to go home you know, the tools are showing up. The opportunities are there. You don't have to leave anymore. Right. That's not to say you have to stay or you have to go back. But, you know, you this little movement, this little movement is, is giving people choice. It's changing the game. That's fantastic. And I, I, think, I, I'm, I think I'm moving to Puerto Rico. Watched, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I just recently watched that um, BBC documentary that came out um, about what you guys are doing down there and just kind of followed you around. I think it was during Restart or uh, around that time. Um, and your intentions are so good and so pure, and you have such an influx of all kinds of t different types of talent coming in there, but you were getting a lot of negative pushback from the Puerto Rican community. It, has that changed at all since that came out, or how is that going? Well, I've had almost no none of these types of interactions in Puerto Rico. They've only happened three times. And coincidentally, it's only when a camera's rolling. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so in that video, there were four people, four women, mm -hmm. only one yeah. of whom was Puerto Rican. The other three gotcha. are from Chicago and New York. They're not Puerto Rican. I think they were paid actors. Really? I see. Interesting. And Very which, by the way, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Right. Because you need, you know, this is media at the end of the day. You need it to be entertaining. It has to have right. a little sensation. It has to have that. That was kind of the hook. Right. that got people to pay attention and watch. You know, people don't want to watch just people singing Kumbaya, my lord, right? right? Yeah. You know, people want some entertainment. They want a little conflict. You know, we like Jerry Springer. I mean, in terms of, you know, this is how media, you know, tends to work. So I'm grateful for it. It, it certainly probably increased the viewership and all sorts of things. And people take from it what they want. Right. Remember when you watch a video like that, some people just see that beautiful intention. Some people right. only see the horrible, you know, right. people that are, you know, there to try and, you know, do whatever it is right. that they think that we're doing. You know, you, you take from those, the, the things that you see what you want, right? You know, it, it's through what prism do you see the world? Do you view the world from a point of place of negativity? You know, haters going to hate. Do you view the world from a place of positivity? Are you just a neutral bystander? You know, we show up and we take, you know, our brains process and take in what we want. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. Now, so it's, it's been great. It's been helpful. I mean, it's been wonderful. So I'm grateful for all that content, however it's portrayed. Right. Because there's a new person moving to Puerto Rico every day. And without that BBC interview, without that New York Times article, without that stuff, it wouldn't be the case. You know, uh, so, you know, thank you to the media for, uh, <laughs> you know, making it entertaining. So sp speaking of entertainment, 
uh, one of our most entertaining guests we've had on the show was Mr. John McAfee. And, oh, he, he, he's a he's a hoot. So in that interview, um, he made claim that you threw the best parties. <laughs> <laughs> the very best yeah. parties in Now, can you confirm or deny that claim? <laughs> oh, because uh, I, I'm gonna be, I, I, I'm a, I celebrate life every day. I, I'm gonna be honest. Um, you're 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 chatting about Puerto Rico, and coupling that with the claims from Mr. McAfee uh, really wants me to get my passport and and get me over to the island very quickly. I mean, he's the king of Burning Man over here. I mean, of course he throws great parties. <laughs> Uh, I uh, uh, definitely I'm a burner, but um, uh, and I and I, I I'm an event producer as well. I mean, I like entertaining. I believe in you know uh, I believe that people perform their greatest work when they're inspired. You know, and when you're inspired and when you're filled with bliss and joy and happiness, that's when you learn the most. That's when you know your inspirations come and all the good things sort of come out of it. So I believe in going through life joyously. You know, uh, happily, you know, um, that sounds, that's full, a, of, full of light. That's that's a and great so, plan. And so, uh, uh, yeah, we, we're restoring an ancient property in Ibiza right now. Uh, we've got a 60-acre farm there with oh Gavin Wood goodness. of Ethereum and uh, Jeremy Gardner, a bunch of friends. We, we're, we're building this, you know, we're restoring one of the most ancient properties in Ibiza. And my brother, Vicente Marti, is the chairman of El Rowe which is the biggest party on the planet, 150 events around the world. Mm-hmm. We're number one in Ibiza, number one in Barcelona, number one in Europe, we're number one in the world. Goodness. In terms of most events at the biggest scale, I'm godfather to his most recent baby. No. He's, my, he's godfather to my baby to come. So I also, I'm a man that wears many hats. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if, you, if, if you're, and I also DJ in my free time. Goodness. I also spin what, fire. What I also spin fire. Do? No, you don't, you spin fire too? Yeah. <laughs> of course he does. Why not? Uh, I, well, I I just love learning. I love you know. It go, the more you learn, the 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 more the more you are right. You know, keep 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 uh, keep an open mind. And you hear that, people? You know, you, when, said, when someone says, "Hey, do you want to do this?" Well, I, I, well, I remember Gavin Wood uh, was at my um, my Halloween party at the Houdini Mansion maybe four years ago, uh, and uh, uh, so I'm spinning fire, and Gavin had never spun, <laughs> Gavin had never spun fire before. He's like, but he, you know, he's like. Rock. I just love how you just go try and do everything. He's like, let me do it. And so Gavin, you know, didn't ever, didn't once in his life try playing with a non, uh, uh, you know, with, with something not on fire. Right. And by the way, the same was true for me. I never used any of the practice sticks. Uh, the first time I ever tried fire spinning, it was live. Live fire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never spun anything that wasn't on fire. Wow. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. We're going we're gonna to wrap up here. Um, we, we had mentioned uh, earlier in the show, um, we're going to have your wife uh, on the show next week. And we started a segment called the, uh, the Newly Wrecked Game, uh, a little spin <laughs> on the Newlywed Game. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read that your uh, m- marriage with, with Crystal is on a renewable smart contract. Is that correct? Yeah, so the, um, uh, we, we did things a little differently. We brought back the ancient Celtic tradition of hand-festing, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. uh, marriage only lasts a year and a day. It's a, it's a year and a day commitment. Mm-hmm. And so we've had three wedding ceremonies. The first one was at Burning Man, an all-unicorn wedding. Terrific. The second one was in Ibiza on yep. 7 7 
The third one was on an airplane at 30,000 feet flying over China on 8818, where Usher, uh, the singer, was the Usher in our wedding. No way. Um, no way. <laughs> That's awesome. And that was part of the Gumball 3000 as we were rallying from London to Tokyo in a DeLorean. At, with the flux capacitor from the movie inside it, and the license Stop plate it. is the license plate is Satoshi. Wow! Just living your um, best life, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> every day, absolutely. And, and, and so grateful and, and grateful for all of it. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we we we're unconventional. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so uh, we we got the answers back from Crystal. I'm gonna ask you some questions. I have ten questions here for you. Um, just answer what you think Crystal said, okay? Oh, what Crystal said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I have her answers ready to go. So uh, we'll, we'll see how many points out of 10 you get. So the first okay. question, what is Crystal's favorite altcoin? I'm going to have to go with sense. <laughs> you would be correct, sir. <laughs> and if that wasn't correct, I'd be very disappointed, uh, you know, in a missed, in missing an opportunity. She did not miss self-promotional <laughs> plug. That normally is not something I advocate, but in this instance, yeah, I think, I it's, think it's okay. But she, yeah, she did not miss the opportunity. So, sense uh, is is a project that uh, that she is uh, a part of. Uh, we'll we'll discuss that a little bit more uh, next week when we have her on. Um, what is Crystal's favorite romantic movie. So romantic movie. So I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna help you out here. She gave two answers. One's kind of a joke, and then one's kind of a serious one. Um. Well. Uh, knowing Crystal, and this is not a film that most people would associate with a um, uh, being a romantic movie, mm-hmm. but uh, it is kind of at its core because it's the story of uh, of Neo and Trinity. No. But I'm going to go with uh, The Matrix. Ding, ding, ding. 100% correct. That is her first answer. The Matrix. <laughs> uh, um, you guys are uh, meant to be. I, I feel a, a fourth uh, renewal coming. Maybe the, the, the other obviously one, is, is, is it a Princess Bride? Oh, see, that's what I would go with. But she went okay. Casablanca. Ah, Casablanca. Yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, Casablanca. Uh, that was the first romantic movie I ever played for because when I asked her about Casablanca, I took her to a restaurant in L.A. called Casablanca mm-hmm. that has a bunch of memorabilia from the film. And, and when she told me she'd never seen the movie, I said, we need to remedy this Absolutely. And uh, that's uh, uh, been something that we've done on Valentine's Day. So <clears throat> I should have known better. But A Princess Bride, Dread Pirate Roberts, oh. you know, also very good for crypto. Uh, oh, you're right, 100%. <laughs> hits, hits the mark. <laughs> that's at the mark. Okay, question number three. Uh, what... What coin would she purge if she had the ability to? Meaning purge, meaning uh, eradicate from the cryptocurrency space. Oof. Which coin would Crystal think is kind of a, a coin that it's time has come and it's ready to go? Um, well, it's going to have to be a scam coin of some okay. type. Uh, it's already gone, but I'd say BitConnect. <laughs> <laughs> She actually said none. She wouldn't. She wouldn't do that to any of them. She loves all of her tokens and coins. Oh, by the way, that was that was what. It, if you asked me to question, what would I purge? You know, uh, actually, no. I would have said ninety percent of. Them. That's okay. Sorry. We're gonna get your. <laughs> we're gonna get your answers later this week. I sent. I sent an email to uh, out. So we're we're gonna get your answers back for when we uh, when we ask Crystal the same questions. So question uh, uh, question four. Uh, what is Crystal's favorite non crypto activity? 
favorite non-crypto activity? Uh, uh, favorite. She went pretty standard, I would say, with this with this answer. Uh, I'm gonna go with traveling. Correct. <laughs> yeah, she went traveling. Okay. <laughs> You're doing very well, by the way. I, I I've been married to my wife. I've been with my wife for a very long time. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure if I'd, if I'd be doing as well as you are right now. Well, I mean, this is the benefit of you know annual marriages. That's like an, it, well, Think about it from a company perspective. As an employee with your boss, you have an annual review. We sure do. The annual marriage is a forcing function that forces an annual review of the relationship. I'm going to bring this upstairs to my wife after this. Well, and every, relation, every relationship should have this. I agree. We, we, we treat our businesses with more care, care and yeah, process absolutely. and structure than we do our most important relationship with our you know, partner or life partner. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, there, there's a lot of logic to what we do and why we do it. I'm going I'm, I'm to have dinner after this, and I'm going to bring this up to my wife. So I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm with you. I think that you're, you're 100% correct there. Okay, question number five. Uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum? Which one do you think she would go with? Uh, uh, well, she was an ERC-20 token, um, but she's migrated to EOS. Uh, so I'm going to go with Bitcoin. Correct. Wow, on fire. Okay, number <laughs> six. What is her favorite karaoke song? Um, I'd be impressed. I, I, I would be impressed if, uh, if if somebody sang this one karaoke. Uh, we haven't uh, done karaoke in a while, but we, we're, we're both very into music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we both DJ. She's DJ Yes, I'm DJ Please. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I'm going to... Uh, the, the, the stuff that we've been playing the most lately... Um, and has resonated would be a, it's an artist by the name of Nako Bear, and the song is Aloha Kiakoa. She did not say that. She went with okay. a little bit more boilerplate. Uh, she went uh, with Bohemian Despacito? Rhapsody. Despacito? Yeah. No. Bohemian Rhapsody, okay. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So, yeah, that's shout out one. to Puerto Rico. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, she went with Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, that, by the way, I, I just watched the movie on the last How was flight, it? I haven't uh, seen it yet. From really? Tokyo. I thought it was great. I mean, the, the story of Queen is, you know, I mean, what, I mean, incredible talent you know music that at the time was so different than anything else exactly. um, uh, and and timely i should have gone with bohemian rhapsody yeah uh, now that i've heard it that should have been my first guess and especially just having it, it, just having seen the movie it's in my head i think so I, I i had it going for me <laughs> but i dropped the ball all Humble. right uh question seven what is the thing that brock does that drives her crazy <laughs> What do I do that drives? Yeah, what her do crazy? you do that drives her crazy? Uh, travel too much. She said you were perfect, and you do oh. nothing to upset her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. No, but, uh, uh, that was very kind. That is very kind. That is very kind. Um, question number, uh, and, and, and what I said is the truth. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's called I travel too much, yes. meaning I'm not present. No, that's, that's uh, and, and and for that I, I'm sorry, Crystal, that uh, uh, I spread myself so thin. Well, the love seems to be there, so I think I think she'll forgive you. Um, number eight: Would she choose a trezor or a ledger for her cryptocurrency? Well, I think we use both equally. Oh. Uh, we have a bunch of treasures, a bunch of ledgers, but I'm going to go with ledger. That's exactly what you went with. 
Okay. okay. Nice. Number nine. It, it's a bit. It's almost a coin flip, but you know, Ledger. Well, they've raised a lot of money both lately, so yeah, they're they're, they're both great products. Um, um, and so yeah, that's a it is a coin flip, but uh, Ledger just tends to be a little bit more popular these days because they've raised a lot of money and all those sorts of things. They've got more happening. They're showing up at more events. They've got more marketing. They're just they're getting more mindshare. Right. You know, that is one of the benefits when when you catch it when you got a tiger by the tail. You know, you you run. Absolutely. You don't walk. Yep. Okay, number nine. What is her favorite love song? Uh. I'm, I'm going to give you a hint. <laughs> if it's been said already. Uh, what did I just say? I said... Uh, Hailing from Puerto Rico. Uh, I did Despacito, and I said... Uh, ding, ding, other, ding. That's uh, the one. <laughs> uh, oh, well, thank you for the Puerto Rican plug, Crystal. <laughs> What was the other song I said? I can't even remember. I think that, oh, that was the only uh, one I remember. Aloha, but that wouldn't have been a love song. Despacito, specifically the Justin Bieber version. So I have a funny story about this. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a five-year-old daughter, and I would say about a year ago, she was, she was doing her first year of school, and she came home, and I'm, you know, I'm a music snob, we'll say. So, and when I say snob means I just don't listen to the the fun stuff that everybody else is listening to. I'm like depressed in my bedroom, just listening. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, but she comes in and she's, and she loves music and she's, she's going crazy and she's singing the song and I'm trying to figure out the words. And I'm like, are you saying Despacito? And so I start Googling it on my phone and I'm like, oh, okay, it's a song. And I start playing for it. And so it was her favorite. We would listen to that song, I don't know, 12, 13 times a day. Uh, it's a great jam. It's a great, a great jam. jam. And I went in, I started talking to, you know, another cool kid, uh, <laughs> adult, but somebody that knew what they were talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, my daughter just started listening to this new Justin Bieber song. They're like, yeah, that song's been out for like two years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so you want to know something interesting about that song. Specifically, go to YouTube mm -hmm. and check out the video. It's filmed in La Perla or the Pearl of Puerto Rico in Old San Juan. I know. But it is the it is the most viewed video ever. I I, I know it's wow. the most viewed video I've ever seen. Because uh, I know it's the most viewed video ever. <laughs> really, and wow. so the most viewed video on the planet is a video in Puerto Rico. That's fantastic. In the, in, yeah, That's and it great. looks great. I mean, that, if it if it's anything like that video, uh, we're making a strong case for Puerto Rico today. Uh, okay, <laughs> last question. By the last way, question. You're doing great. You have six out of the nine answers so far. Uh, going for 70%. Number 10, what is Crystal's favorite romantic dinner meal? Uh, are we talking genre of food? Because my first response would be truffles. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know if that would be, I don't know if I'd choose Italian if it's a genre. I would say a genre, and then she gave me two answers. So I'd say more of uh, a boilerplate and one more, maybe a little bit more elaborate. Well, I mean, historically truffles, because for our... Um, our first um, honeymoon, we went white truffle hunting oh, in Elba. Um, and so it's just kind of like, you know, okay. what I associate I like with on the, uh, the romantic uh, meal side of things. Um, uh, uh, so I'm, I, I'm going I'm to go, go with favorite romantic dinner meal, anything we make at home. Unfortunately, no. She went okay. with, <laughs> it sounds very romantic. I'm not trying to take away from the romance of a home-cooked <laughs> meal. But the answer she gave was sushi or... Okay. Long course meal like marmalade in Puerto marmalade, Rico. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I try. 
Well, I mean, there, there's so many good answers to that to that one. So uh, again, she's trying to tie yes. in the Puerto Rico uh, a, a aspect of this. She was, she was well, marmalade. It, it, when you make it down to Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. yeah, you definitely need to check out. It is uh, is it a restaurant? Like molecular, yeah, oh. molecular gastronomic. Uh, like it's like three Michelin star type of restaurant. And so, oh wow! Not only is Puerto Rico amazing for all the reasons we said, but the food in Puerto Rico is also very good. It's awesome. I'm telling you. <laughs> Sold. Uh, a lot of people sold. say a lot of people say marmalade is the best restaurant in all the Caribbean. Is that right? Oh wow! All right. So that does it. Subjective, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so that does it for our questions. You have by far uh, uh, did fantastic. I think six out of ten is is a great number. Um, so that that pretty much does it for our end. We'll give you uh, some time if you want to talk about any upcoming projects you're working on. Um, the yeah, the only thing I want to add uh, here is, you know, yeah, if this message resonates with people, you know, it's a call to action, you know, uh, you know, get out there in the world and, you know, make a difference. And it doesn't need to be Puerto Rico. That just happens to be one of the places where a lot of us are concentrating to, you know, try and, um, you know, uplift <clears throat> others. Um, another thing is uh, for anyone that's into uh, anyone that used Mount Gox, uh, any Mount Gox creditors, uh, come check out goxrising.com. Uh, uh, I've been very involved. Uh, well, Mount Gox was the you know Magic the Gathering online exchange yep. started by Jed McCaleb in 2007 before Bitcoin. It launched, it pivoted into a Bitcoin exchange in 2010. It became the main Bitcoin exchange in the world from 2010, 11, 12, 13. Gox was rising and rising and rising. And in 2014, Gox had its colossal fall. It is to the crypto industry, it is our Lehman Brothers, it is our Bear Stearns, the rise, the fall. Most people had their first, became first aware of Bitcoin in connection with the press related with Mt. Gox or maybe Silk Road, yep. but it was our Enron. This was one of the biggest stories in the world. Mm -hmm. And so the first impression people had of Bitcoin was it's not safe. You know, your stuff gets stolen, it fails, people run off with the money, hacking, you know, most people's first impression has historically been negative because of stories like Mt. Gox. I almost bought Mt. Gox in late 2012, early 2013. I was bringing Mt. Gox into China in later 2013. And the day that Mt. Gox failed, I was giving a talk at Jason Kalkanis' event launch after he founded TechCrunch Disrupt. He did launch because he and Michael Arrington had a falling out. And I was giving the first Bitcoin talk in 2014 at launch. The day that Gox failed, I come off the stage um, in San Francisco, and uh, my phone's blowing up. Gox, 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 Gox. I'm like, oh wow. Oof. I give I give Mark Carpellis a call. I said, hey Mark, uh, I'd like to buy Mount Gox. He's like, are you not following the news? <laughs> I said, I am. That's why I'm calling. He goes, and you're still interested. <laughs> I said I am, but the terms have changed. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and so I cut. And so I cut a deal to buy uh, Mark's eighty-eight percent of the company for one percent. I mean, for one Bitcoin, originally a dollar, and then I uh, did the same deal with Jed McCaleb. And uh, because I was, you know, obviously it was worth far less than zero. It was going to be, uh, but I care about the industry, and I do a lot of the thankless jobs to try and, you know, help our industry. Um, and uh, so I was going to try and clean up that mess. Went and settled both class action lawsuits in the U.S. Um, uh, went and filed the civil rehabilitation ports. Da, 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 da. The bankruptcy liquidation happens. I was saying rehabilitate, don't liquidate, rehabilitate, and all this stuff back in 2014. Obviously, the bankruptcy process is very slow. It takes a lot of long time. And so kind of moved that into the back burner as I went off to go do Tether and EOS and 
BCAP and STOs and uh, Noble and you know all the things, auction capital. Um, but it's been in the back burner all this time. Fast forward to the price of Bitcoin rocketing up. All the creditors of Mt. Gox were only entitled to Bitcoin at a $425 price. Right. When Bitcoin went up to 10,000, all of a sudden Mt. Gox had billions and billions of dollars of excess capital that arguably belongs to the shareholders, of which I arguably own all of it. So fast forward to today, uh, there's 630 million US dollars in the Mt. Gox estate and another 150,000 Bitcoin, roughly. Ooh. There's about a $700 million surplus there that I could make an argument as mine. I don't want one cent. I don't want a penny. I want all of that cash and all of that Bitcoin to go to the creditors, to the 24,000 victims of Mt. Gox that have filed claims with the bankruptcy trustee. I want all of that to go. I want to create, that's the Mt. Gox story is not over. It's been running for nearly 10 years. Mm. And we are now entering the last chapter. And we as an industry have the power to write the end of this story. Mm. How do we want our Lehman Brothers story to end? Mm. Do we want it to end like the financial world of 2008 and 9, where no one went to jail and everybody that worked in these organizations made off like bandits and you know the people in the state and the taxpayers all got screwed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or are we different as an industry, as a community of people building open source systems with open hearts and open minds? You know, I want to see our victims taken care of as well as possibly can, getting everything. That's terrific. I want to see us go and try and recover the remaining 650,000 Bitcoins that are lost amongst other things. Obviously, that'll be very hard if any of it can be achieved. But in an ideal world, the stretch goal is to get creditors 100% of everything back. And I would also like to see Mt. Gox live again. Mount Gox had its rise, it's had its fall, it's been in bankruptcy for five years and I'd like to see it rise like a phoenix from the ashes. That's how I'd like to see this story end. That's how I'd like to see this Joseph Campbell heroes <laughs> story end. Because this is an opportunity, not just for the victims, but for our entire industry. You know, this has been the shadow, this has been the dark cloud that has hovered over us as an industry all this time. And the idea would be to give creditors, uh, you know, all the Mt. Gox users equity in that new exchange, you know, and all of the things to make sure that they get everything back. If, you know, like Bitfinex, so I, so I tried to do this already five years ago. Mm -hmm. If I had been able to launch the Mt. Gox exchange five years ago, just the fees off of the exchange these last two years may have made creditors whole. It worked with Bitfinex, you know, five years has passed. Let's not let another five years pass. Let's be able to tell the stories that the creditors of Mt. Gox were made whole. Yeah. And the Phoenix rises again. What a story that would That's be. Right. I think it's up to us. Absolutely. We as a as a community have the power to do it. And most importantly, that exchange would need to be different than the old exchange right. and all the exchanges, because what's happened to Mt. Gox continues to happen. You know, the stories of Bitfinex. I mean, just this year, Cryptopia, uh, now in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Quadriga CX. Quadriga just happened. I mean, this is a story that continues to be playing on repeat. Mm -hmm. It is time that we use non-custodial exchanges. The new Mount Gox would have to basically become a beacon of light, a demonstration of how this should be done.
so that this problem stops once and for all. The technology is there. The ability is there. We can build non-custodial exchanges that mitigate and eliminate this risk or at a minimum use multi-sig in the various things that have been built now for some time. The problem is all the exchanges don't need to use it. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's on the list of things to do, but they care more about getting more market share. They care more about making more money versus, you know, preventing this problem that continues to repeat itself because they all say it's not going to happen to me. And then it happens to them. Right. They're like, well, it's not going to happen to me, but then it happens to them. Right. You know, so clearly anything we would do with this new Mt. Gox as an industry, as a community, would have to be best of breed and, and, you know, and, and demonstrate, you know, inspired by leading by example what all the exchanges in the world's need, world needs need to start doing. That's a, so that's my last plug. That's that's a, that's that, Gox Rising. I'm looking at the website now. I'm, yeah, I'm Gox, Rising. Gox Rising. We've got we've got a major announcement coming out tomorrow. Uh, we have on uh, this Thursday um, a uh, a WebEx uh, Thursday afternoon Pacific Friday morning Japan time, and then we're doing uh, uh, an Ask Me Anything on Reddit Friday afternoon uh, Pacific time Saturday morning Japan time. You know, for anyone that uh, you know is curious or you know wants to get involved, um, we'll make sure know, to put those uh, links in the show notes too. By the way, so uh, people can get to it. So that that that's that's yeah. very impressive. Well, thank you for uh, for having me. No, thank you for coming on. We thank re- you so much re- for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, a bunch of wishes he was here, but unfortunately. Technology isn't where it needs to be in uh, in rural New York State, apparently. <laughs> New York. <laughs> well, we, 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 you got at the beginning of the show a commitment already to do the next one live uh, together Absolutely. in Puerto Rico. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're already teed up for uh, I love it. round we're gonna, two. We're going to take you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so, anyhow. And wait, that has to include magic tricks next time. Oh, too. yeah, no, we're I'm not coming to find them if I don't see my, magic tricks. <laughs> I, I, I will have my bag of tricks. Perfect. <laughs> so, that, that about does it for us. Uh, again, we want to thank you so much for your time. Um, we'll again make sure to put all those uh, all those links in the show notes. Um, this episode, I believe, is going to come out tomorrow, um, February sixth. Sixth. Um, so we'll we'll uh, we'll post uh, we'll make sure to tag you in those and 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 uh, get the word out that that you did a, a, a fan, one of my favorite shows. I think we've done I think about sixty or seventy of these shows. This is definitely one of my favorite ones. I'm a big. Uh, Big fan of uh, Puerto, Re- Puerto Rico now, uh, so I'm going <laughs> to figure out how to explain to my wife how we're going to have uh, yearly uh, marriage uh, renewals, and we're going to move the family <laughs> to Puerto Rico. But thanks again for your time. Uh, for myself, uh, Chamber, and Cynthia, uh, this is Rec Podcast. Don't get wrecked, and that is financial advice. <laughs>